Powered by MPB, this is Chalkboard Chat, an MPB education podcast, hosted by Jermaine Flood and Tara Wren. To hear this episode and more, visit education.mpbonline.org or download the MPB public media app to listen on your iPhone or Android device. Jermaine Flood for Chalkboard Chat. We are reporting live here at the Grammy Museum in Cleveland, Mississippi. I think this is one of Cleveland's best kept secrets. And right next door to Delta State University, the Grammy Museum is a beautiful facility. And we are going to walk in today to figure out exactly why this is such a hidden gem in the Delta of Mississippi. Here we go. I am here with Katie Hughley, the Education and Outreach Manager for the Grammy Museum Mississippi. Katie, welcome to Chalkboard Chat. Thank you guys. I'm really excited for you to come check out the museum today. I am so excited to see everything that you have to offer here. I want to know of all the Mississippians who have actually made it inside of this museum, who we can look forward to seeing. So we are going to get ready to go in a beautiful lobby that we're standing in right now. Inside, they also have a mural featuring some Grammy award winners here. And we are standing right here at their gift shop, ticketing and retail center. And this is just a place that you have got to come see. If you have never been to the Grammy Museum here in Cleveland, Mississippi, I think today or tomorrow is the time that you need to go. So we're gonna get started with our tour with Katie. Here we go. So the lobby was designed to look like your front porch. It's got wonderful big windows. You've got this weathered tile floor look. We want you to feel like you're at home because we're at home here because America's music was founded right here in Cleveland. So we are one of two museums in the entire world. One is in Los Angeles, California, and the other one is right here in Cleveland, Mississippi. So So Mississippi has more Grammy winners per capita than any other state. And we also have 8% of all Lifetime Achievement Award winners are from Mississippi. So there's one thing we do really well, and that's music. So as you come into the museum, we love to greet you and give you those little fun facts as we get started. And we love to point out some of the wonderful artists that we do have on display in our lobby, like Mr. Sam Cooke. He's notable for the song, A Change Is Gonna Come, which was revolutionary during the Civil Rights Movement in the early 60s. Sad to say he didn't get to see how well that turned out for him, but I mean the impact, right? We're still celebrating that today. And then we love to also point out Miss Leontine Price, who's from Laurel, Mississippi, down on the coast. And she was the first African-American woman for opera that just sort of took it above and beyond. She actually holds the world record for the longest standing ovation at the Metropolitan Opera of 42 minutes. Oh, wow. And we get to claim her. So as you come through the museum, we have these bright orange doors for the Sanders Soundstage. And that is where we host all of our artists that come to the museum and do public programs and educational programs for our students as well as our community. And you also get to see the current Grammy winner's wall. Now, it's a little confusing for most, but the Grammy Awards show is held in the early part of each year for the recordings that were held the previous year. So currently on our wall, you're going to see the 2020 Grammy winners because we haven't held the Grammy Awards yet for 2021. So January 31st, 2022, we will honor the recordings from all of 2021. So it always looks like it's a year behind, but it's really not. We just want to give everybody up until the last second to honor them. So in the Sanders Soundstage, it's a 130-seat theater, so you really get up close and personal with artists. And we've had people like Peter Frampton, we've had Garth Brooks, we've had Mary Wilson of the Supremes, and all of these wonderful people, they come and do public programs for our community, and it's more of discussions and Q&As, and if we can twist their arm a little bit, a little bit of a performance. But, you know, being able to bring students into the museum for that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hear about how they got to where they are. We also talk to people like Benjamin Wright, you know, composers and producers and things like that, not just the artists, but students get to see that there's more to music than just singing and dancing. So we're going to start at the beginning of the museum. There's a giant statue. I mean, three times the size of a normal Grammy Award because we want you to take a picture with it, right? But as we start, we're going to do the evolution of the Grammy Awards. So in the first room, you're going to be greeted with 12 giant TVs and five actual Grammy Awards in display cases. Now, the Grammy Awards, they do change in size, shape, and color throughout the years. That's because people have different design, you know, ideas. But the Grammy Awards were actually started in 1959, where the first 
awards held for recordings in 1958. So you'll see an example of the Grammy Award from 1958, 1959, all the way up to the current award. Now on the televisions that are surrounding you, it's about 25 minutes on a loop of some of the greatest speeches and performance moments at the Grammys. So what's really cool to note is if you bring your students, is to take, have them take a look at the video itself, you'll notice the Grammy Awards do not have a nameplate on them. Because what you see them getting on the show is a fake. The Grammy Awards are still very special in the fact that no one truly knows who the winner is until that award and that envelope is opened on the stage. So all the tallying is done by a separate tallying company based out of New York, and they mail the envelopes to the Staples Center in Los Angeles for the night of the award ceremony. So the awards, they take 15 hours to make. They weigh six pounds. And, you know, just because you win a Grammy doesn't mean everybody's gonna get one. Let's say we're looking at Kelly Clarkson on the TV. If Kelly Clarkson wins Songwriter of the Year, that means she actually wrote her song. But if she didn't write it, her songwriter gets it, not her. So this is truly an award that honors everybody within the industry, the writers, the engineers, the producers, and the performers. So it's a pretty cool place to get started. Now, Katie, one thing I'm seeing is that the Grammy got bigger as the years went on. <laughs> the actual award itself, I see, has gotten bigger. Our cell phones have gotten smaller, but that Grammy Award's gotten larger. It did. It absolutely did. And what's really cool is the Grammy Awards have been handmade by the same family and the same... Uh, let's say hierarchy of builders. It's this guy in Colorado with a team of like four or five in his backyard and he learned from the master that started it all and he continues to make them every year. So it does take him all year to make the Grammy Awards. That There's is so cool, so cool. Now they have the meaning of the Grammy Award on the wall and it says the Grammy Award is synonymous with musical excellence. Winners are not determined by sales, chart success, or popularity. Rather, it is the result of a rigorous voting process carried out by music industry peers. Grammys are awarded annually to musicians, producers, songwriters, recording engineers, and other music professionals. Now to receive one is to be accorded the highest honor in the recording arts. So normal people like you and I, even though I work here, we don't get to vote for these artists. You actually have to have credits on 10 to 12 albums as yourself in order to be able to vote. So you basically have to know exactly what you're talking about in order to vote. So in essence, Taylor Swift votes for Beyonce, who votes for Justin Timberlake, who votes for Jay-Z and so on and so forth. So truly, you are honored by your peers based on your accomplishments during that year. So as you turn the corner, we're coming in to get a history of the Grammy Awards and how it all kind of got started. So you're going to see a beautifully colored wall that starts all the way back from the late 1950s and goes to the early 2010s because, frankly, we're out of space and we keep going. So we're working to update this area right now to honor and you know, pay homage to these musicians and those in the industry for all of the hard work that they're actually putting forth. So they pulled together a bunch of recording industry executives to ask for suggestions for the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You know, the, the stars right, in the concrete right, on Hollywood? Right, right. Well, that's kind of where it was going, was let's add some people there. And they went, oh, wait a minute. There's not enough concrete in Hollywood for this. <laughs> so they figured out we need to create our own award at this point. So they were originally going to name it after Thomas Edison, who created the phonograph, you know, the original version, and they were going to call it the Eddie. But it didn't really flow that well. So they went with Emil Berlinger's gramophone, the second version, and they call it a Grammy for short. So as you come along this wall, you're going to see how it changed networks from like NBC to CBS, so on and so forth. You're going to find out cool things like the two people that were the only ones to ever have their Grammy Award taken away because they cheated. Oh, I know that. Millie and Vanilli. That's exactly right. Come to find out the recording that they sent in, they were not the ones actually performing. So they had their award revoked. And as far as I can tell, there's only been one person to deny a Grammy, and that was Sinead O'Connor. But she was very politically affluent and loved to, you know, be out there and really show off what she was fighting for at the moment. So that's why she had denied her Grammy at that time. But you find out the importance of Thriller and just how big a deal Michael Jackson was and how that album really just stepped out. Other fun facts, we always point out Mississippi and its accomplishments. Right. 
Did you guys know that Mississippi has the youngest individual Grammy winner of all time? Did not know, but can I guess? Yes. Leanne Rhymes? That's it! Oh, yay! She was 14 <laughs> years old when she won her very first Grammy. Too cool. I knew that, everybody. I knew that. Well, now, this is not Mississippi-based, but you know the movie, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Parts of it was filmed in Mississippi. Right. So the three little girls that always sang his little daughters, yeah. they're actually the youngest group of all time oh, to win a Grammy. Okay. Yeah, so you get to see notable things like that. You'll get to see the Grammys are really known for partnering artists together that would never normally perform together. So one of those notable moments was Elton John and Eminem. Eminem was, was talked about for being a controversial rapper when it came to being homophobic and sexist and things like that. So we point out moments like that of how music can help overcome those moments and our differences. So we'd love to highlight those moments. And as you come through this room, not only are you inter introduced to artifacts right off the bat, you're seeing Grammy Awards, but you're now seeing outfits that were actually worn by these legends. So as we're seeing the history, we're finding out what makes these guys legends, and we see these cool different columns with albums all over them with an iPad on the other side. So these iPads, what they allow for you to do is to let you research the most coveted award with the Grammys, and that is the Album of the Year Award. Now, the Album of the Year Award is the most coveted because it does not matter what genre of music you're in, you can qualify for this. Let's say, for example, if I was a country singer, I only qualify in country categories, right? But there's four awards that it doesn't matter. You have the Song of the Year, which is a Songwriters Award. You have Record of the Year, which is an Engineering Award. That's the behind the scenes, the music production, the mix, all of that. You have Best New Artist, which doesn't mean you have to be young or old. It just means you came onto the scene in a big way that year. And then you have Album of the Year. And Album of the Year is all about every component that had to come together to create this album. So last year, Taylor Swift won it for her album, Folklore. So what you can do is you can search by year. I encourage guests to check out their birth year to see what was most popular at the time. I'll do mine since you guys can't actually see me. <laughs> We'll take a guess. So mine was uh, Nick of Time by Bonnie Raitt. Okay. Which is a famous blues artist. Yeah. So yeah. Do mine, 83. All right. So for 1983, 1983, we have Thriller with Michael Jackson. It was a good year for you, Jermaine. It was a good year. I knew I was born in the correct year. <laughs> so as you start to see these different artifacts, you know, we're gonna have sculptures and setups and things with these outfits on them, but it's important to take a look at these outfits. So we try to always have pictures to go along with them because if you guys are like me, I don't believe you that that's Taylor Swift's. I need to see proof. So we love to make sure we have evidence for kids to make sure that they can go back and actually say, I did see this. And I know you guys were really looking for some Beyonce. Look at this drop dead gorgeous outfit. This is a Michael Costello dress, the Beyonce award to the 56th annual Grammy Awards back in 2014. Y'all, this puts wedding dresses to shame. It is a sheer lace, just beautiful gown. And you know, you don't realize how tiny these artists are until you actually see them on a mannequin and well fit. So one of the cool things I found when I started working here is we have a suit by Count Basie. Now, if you don't know who Count Basie is, First of all, go educate yourself. But Count Basie was this phenomenal jazz pianist that put us in a whole different realm of music. But he's got just a plain pinstripe suit, but there's a green ribbon pinned to the lapel. Mm -hmm. Much like you see when people are you know, paying homage to a cancer or something like that. Well, we had to do a good bit of research to find out, but come to find out that his daughter that took over his estate has a form of special needs. And he would wear that ribbon in honor of her. Oh, that is so great. Who knew all of this great information could have come out of this Grammy Museum here in Cleveland, Mississippi? But it is just so amazing to see these actual artifacts that these artists wore during these awards. So if you, again, have not made it out to the Grammy Museum, I invite every single one of you to come out.
So as we go through, sometimes we actually have the artists come visit with us and like I said, do programs for us. One of which is Garth Brooks. He, he was able to come a few years ago, back in 2019, and he is a huge baseball fan, so he let us borrow one of his baseball <laughs> uniforms. They let him go to training sessions with the different teams, and he also donated a guitar that he played here at the museum. So as we circle on through, you're gonna get to a, an area titled On the Red Carpet. Now, these outfits were actually worn on the red carpet or on the stage at the Grammy Awards. And let's just say they are flamboyant. Yes. Everything from Dr. John and those beautiful headdresses to CeeLo Green's gorilla chicken looking costume. That's the best way to describe it. It's very bright and colorful to Katy Perry's peppermint dress. And one thing I love to point out is, you know, Musicians are no different than any other type of expressionist or artist. They choose what they do carefully, whether it's how they write, the style of music they perform, even the way they dress. So for example, CeeLo Green is wearing this gorilla chicken looking costume purposefully. He wanted to pay homage to his favorite musician, Elton John, who wore something very similar back when he performed Crocodile Rock at the Grammy Awards. So tell me something, when it comes down to splitting the artifacts between the two museums, the one that you say is in California and then the one here, they kind of do that on their end and then you all receive these actual pieces to put in the exhibits? It started that way. So we just celebrated our fifth birthday this year. We're really excited and we have now started stepping out on our own. We don't necessarily rely on our sister museum in Los Angeles as much. When we first got started, they would curate 99% of everything, they would acquire it from all the artists. Now we're starting to maintain our own contracts and reach out to our own artists and management and things like that to acquire them ourselves. So it just depends. We may be specifically focusing on an area. We want to do something, let's say, on country music. We may have our own set of artists. We may reach out and say, hey, you got any ideas? And we kind of tag team from there as we need to. So we do have a couple of areas in the museum that we call temporary exhibits, meaning they change out sooner than later. And one of these right now that we're honoring is that Memphis Sound, based out of Royal Studios in Memphis. Willie Mitchell changed the sound of music in the early 70s when he um, really started finding people like Al Green, who really just changed everything. But you guys will know that this studio was famous for recording Bruno Mars' Uptown Funk. So Boo Mitchell, the son of Willie Mitchell and Willie Mitchell's sisters, still run Royal Studios today. In fact, we did a program for them not long ago, and you can see some really cool artifacts from hip-hop artists, Al Green, Willie Mitchell's trumpet, even the certain microphones that they use. And it's really funny because sometimes Boo Mitchell has to come get it out. <laughs> He's like, wait, I got an artist that needs this specific microphone. I'll bring it back. So it's always fun partnering with people like that. So you turn the corner and you get to see these cool little pods. There's three of them. Can we go in? Absolutely. You gotta come with me. So this first pod, we have two pods that are set. They're soundproof. So if it changed a little bit, that's what's going on. Yeah. But there's a room on each side and this is where you can write a song with Keb Mo. Keb Mo is a Grammy winning blues artist. And what he has done is he has written part of a song. He's basically written a little bit of a course, and he walks you through it. You can put it on headphones, or you can read it across the screen. But basically, he's written a verse, three lines of a verse. And what you do is you pick an emotion, and it's going to give you a set of phrases. So you don't have to think too hard, but you kind of get an idea of what it's like to write a song. And you just click and drag these different phrases to create your song. As I ripped it open every single day, your love notes, I can't sleep at night, so on and so forth, you submit your lyrics, and he's singing it to you the whole time. So when you get to your verse, you can actually record it with Kevmo, and you get to save it, and a little bit later, we're gonna get to a bigger pod called the producer pod. Okay. And in the producer pod, we'll find out what we can do with it. So we really start to kick up the museum a notch with this 70s style disco light up floor. It does change as you step on it. And then there's a 90 inch brand new color TV screen with Neo teaching you some of his favorite dance moves and taking you through some of the greatest dancers of all time. This is so cool. I just want to step on it. Go for it. So the, the blocks change as my feet are going on them. That's so cool. Thanks for hanging out. I had fun. Did you have fun? 
Look like you had fun, all right? I'll see you on the dance floor. It's Neo, peace and love. So even though we do have a sister museum in Los Angeles, we do not have the same exhibits. We have guests that come from both places all the time, and Los Angeles is really jealous. They don't have this. <laughs> so as you exit the dance floor, you'll see little highlights of famous dances, like the, high, the hand jive. We all know that. Thanks, Greece. Cha-cha, the twist, the moonwalk disco. So it's a great opportunity to teach the, your students that, hey, there's more than just singers here. There's, there's a whole career just in choreography and dance. As interactive as this museum is, there are some more, let's call them stale exhibits that you would have to stop and actually read. But don't worry, we can try to help it make it engaging for you and your students, that's for sure. But you're gonna see an entire wall called Iconic Instruments. Many times it's the instrument that makes the musician. We've all heard of B.B. King and Lucille, mm -hmm. right? But sometimes we don't really think and dig deeper into what that is. B.B. King had a specific type of guitar that he used and strang and tuned a certain way, and then Gibson redesigned that for him and made that actual type of guitar and called it Lucille. So you're gonna see lots of Lucilles all over the country and probably all over the world, that's why. So you're gonna see everything from a sitar from the country of India that Ravi Shankar played. Now that's a weird name, but we all know the guy that played for the Beatles, right? That's him. You're gonna see Kirk Whalem's saxophone. We all know that wonderful saxophone solo from I Will Always Love You yes. with Whitney Houston. Yes. Yeah, you're gonna see everything from an accordion to a washboard. Okay, let's think back, guys. A I washboard for clothes. I know it, I know okay. it. Well, Cody Dickinson with the North Mississippi All-Stars based out of Hernando area. It's a Southern rock, blues, folk type group. He plugged up a washboard to like guitar foot pedals and turned it into this phenomenal instrument. He literally hooked it up to an amp? Yes. <laughs> yes, he did. And scratched it. It came up with all these really cool sounds. So you're going to see a couple of more of these pods. But a couple of my favorite places in the museum is the landmark moments in music, American popular music. We forget that everything has to start somewhere. You know, we look around and like, oh, we have electricity. Yeah, but somebody had to invent it and the light bulb, we had to harness that power, right? So on this, this wall, you're gonna find little fun facts like Elvis Presley shaking his hips on the Ed Sullivan Show revolutionized dance today. The way I put it to most of my students that visit is if Beyonce danced the way she did now in 1950, she'd have been in jail. <laughs> because they, at the time, they would only film from the waist up and Elvis changed that. And we've all seen Forrest Gump, you know, the little kid working his legs, you know. Right. It wasn't anything that big a deal to us now. But back then, it changed history. You also find out about these festivals that made a huge impact, like Woodstock, the Monterey International Pop Festival. You're going to find out that MTV debuts, which we'll go into a little bit deeper in a little bit. And you're also going to find out about the 27 Club. Now, there's a really cool YouTube video. It's like five or seven minutes long. But there's a lot of notable musicians that have died at 27 years old. Yeah. And we all know why, sad to say, with drugs and alcohol abuse. And the Recording Academy likes to help overcome that. So they do have a program called the Music Cares Program. So you have Grammy Awards, Grammy Museum, and Music Cares. And Music Cares helps musicians and their families in times of need, whether it be rehab or natural disasters, things of that nature. So there is an area to help offset that because we've had way too many pass away. So we're getting to this third and final pod I talked about a little bit earlier. And as you come on in, it's called the Producers Pod. So we get to visit with Keb Mo again. And Keb Mo is going to let us pull up our recording that we had. If you don't like to sing, that's okay. Don't freak out. You can play with it for the first time and you never had to record anything. If you sign up, you get to play for nothing. If you log in, you pull up your song. So Keb Mo is playing the song in the headphones and you can see it going across the screen. But you can choose from sample instruments like a cowbell, a rhythmic guitar, heavy drums, harmonica, you name it, it's here. And you get to click and drag it over and listen to what it would sound like added to your track. So you get the experience of what a producer does by adding different instruments and adjusting the samples and the volumes and those types of things. So cool. once again, you don't get to leave with it, but it's another cool example. <laughs> so this is one of the hidden areas. It looks like a dark closet, but don't freak out. We do that for a reason. Now this is called mono to surround. 
we forget just how good we have it nowadays. And what this does is it has four recordings that lets you choose which one you want to listen to, and we get to hear what it would have sounded like over 100 years ago on the first sound recording device, all the way up into surround sound today. Come check it out. So we're going to start with the wax cylinder with Beyonce. for sure, but you're also going to see a picture of the recording device and sometimes a little fun fact about it. You can click through the different instruments and you'll find out the gramophone came along in 1888. Notice how it's soft and scratchy? Well, if we go to vinyls... teach us about mono versus stereo and mono is means one stereo means two all around we start we start spreading out so your sound intensifies it also clears up and now we're coming out of more than one speaker as we get on up to the 70s and 80s we think it's the greatest thing in the world because we can take music with us we get to the cassette This is where I came from. This is where I started from. We thought it was great. I see why vinyls are coming back. And then for our listening pleasure, we go all the way to surround sound. If I were a boy, I think I could understand. I mean, you can literally hear the changes as you click. The last section takes you through headphones, which lets you hear basically surround sound, just in a condensed So not only can you choose Beyonce, you can also maybe choose from Dave Matthews Band, Lady Antebellum, and the Rat Pack, so. You get a good variety for anybody. <laughs> That is one exhibit that often gets lost because right next to it is the piece de resistance. The one thing everybody wants to come do, no matter how old you are, and that is the Roland Room. The Roland Room is made up of MIDI instruments, and for those who don't really realize what that is, that means they have a digital interface. So they are all basically computer operated, and what's even more special is they all require headphones to work. So you can jam your little heart out, nobody's gonna know it. But that's so cool because you don't even have to know how to play the guitar to play the guitar. That's exactly right. So we have everything from, we have a guitar with some basic riffs on them, but the whole purpose of the guitar is to focus on how you can change the tone of it, the sound, with the foot pedals. We have a hand drum, we have an actual board where you can see how each slide controls each different voice. There's an electronic drum set, a piano, a guitar, a voice modulator, and a DJ board for those that really want to get down in the back. So we have kids of all ages that come into this area, that's for sure. Now there is one hidden area most people overlook, but to me it kind of goes along with the landmark moments in music, and that's called Culture Shock. And Culture Shock is a wall with four TVs in it, and for me, teachers, this is where your kids are going to learn the most in the least amount of time. These are one to two minute videos from the 1950s up until now about how music changed culture as a whole. So you find out just why Elvis was such a big deal to the younger generation. You're also going to find out when drugs actually got introduced into the music scene. So I always encourage everybody to take a step over here and dig in for a moment. This is so cool. Okay, so tell me where I'm standing in now and what is this? It looks like a really big table TV. Essentially, so you were standing in the Mississippi exhibit, and this is where we really turn our focus to Mississippians and their contributions. So to start, you get an artifact case. You're going to see an outfit by Elvis, Faith Hill, Willie Dixon, a famous blues artist, and you're going to see Pop Staples as well, who the Staples family 
the staple singers right. were revolutionary during the civil rights Definitely. movement. I'll take you there. Oh my goodness. But along the wall, you're gonna see, it looks like a wood grain wall with a bunch of signatures on it. They're all Mississippi artists that are repeated over and over. But you're gonna get to see the Mississippi Music Bar. And it's meant to look like a bar. You sit down and you get to listen to nothing but Mississippi musicians. Along the opposite wall, you're gonna see what we call the Mississippi Music Trails. And we just opened this brand new interactive map on the wall back in October. This map takes you through the different regions of Mississippi and you can see where Grammy winners are from and who they are, as well as all these other little bubbles, fun facts, what I like to call them. Red and blue different bubbles about Mississippi artists like Muddy Waters, Jimmy Rogers, Tammy Wynette, Brandy, Britney Spears, and the list goes on. But our highlighted moment is the Mississippi table. Now the Mississippi table, it looks like a giant table that's interactive. You're gonna see artists as they float by, floating just like the Mississippi, the Mississippi River. River. Yeah. That's right, and each station has a set of headphones and you're gonna hear water as, as it goes along. But you can see artists floating by, genres, certain songs, and you can click on it as it goes, or you can actually use the search function at the bottom and search by artist. So one example we're gonna pick is Aretha Franklin is on the table. Well, you can click on them, see a picture, read just a little brief bio about them. Gallery lets you listen to music if there are any. Awards will let you see that. Lineage is the key. So lineage lets you see if this artist was influenced by other Mississippians or did influence other Mississippians. So as you look on the table, Aretha Franklin was influenced by Jackie Wilson, Sam Cooke, which we already mentioned was from Clarksdale, Mississippi, Beyonce and Destiny's Child, Mariah Carey, and Britney Spears, who's from Southern Mississippi. So if they're from Mississippi, they're gonna have a little marker, a yellow marker next to their name that denotes who they are. And what's really cool is this table, it's meant to be shared by all of those around you. So when you click on an artist, you can do the little heart to let us know you like it. And there's a little arrow at the top, which lets you share it to your friends around you. So now they can actually listen. So cool and interactive. So you can literally stand here and just play and share and like and read and learn all right here at the table with everybody else. For days. For days, literally. As many, as many are floating down this, this digital river here. <laughs> I lost myself 45 minutes one time and I didn't realize it. So as we check out our new map, this used to be a, just a picture of Mississippi up on the wall, but now it's divided it up into the different regions. You know, we have the hills, the delta, the pines, the Capital River region, and the coastal region. Mm -hmm. So let's just say we pick the Capital River region. So you guys can check out different artists that were from this area. Like, for example, the first one is Bo Diddley. He was from Macomb, Mississippi. You can read a little bit about him and see that he's a Grammy Hall of Fame member and a Lifetime Achievement Award winner. Now, Grammy Hall of Fame, that is for songs that have had a lasting impact for over 25 years. So with it being the holidays, the Charlie Brown Christmas album, that entire album is in the Grammy Hall of Fame. Fun fact there. But you can see, like, Brandy... Who doesn't love Brandy? She's also from Macomb. So was Britney Spears. Cassandra Wilson, Charlie Patton, and the list goes on. Dorothy Moore, Faith Hill. And she's looking puzzled because she sees Michael Jackson pop. I'm like, what? Well, it's not Michael Jackson. It's actually Glenn Ballard. Glenn Ballard co-wrote Man in the Mirror and Hand in My Pocket with Michael Jackson. So you get to see all those fun different artists. So cool. Okay, now tell me about you, Katie. Where does all this plethora of music knowledge come from? Spending a lot of time in here. <laughs> so I've been a band director the past eight years in public schools all over the state, and I grew up being just a music nerd, a music lover, music enthusiast, all of those things. And when I came to the museum, you know, my job is to help educate any and everyone that comes in the museum, but I have a big focus for schools. I handle all of the school groups, the tours, the workshops, and all of the collateral that comes with it. So the lesson plans and the activities, and I, I know what it means to take a field trip. You want your kids to have fun, but you also have to prove to that administration that it's worth going and you're gonna get something out of it and so are your kids. And they can prove it to the school board as well because we forget that kids have to have fun to learn sometimes. So I have spent 
a lot of time in this museum. I spend a lot of time in the exhibits learning all the different facts, going down every rabbit hole I can because it never ends and it's constantly changing and it has such an impact on so many that if you're not well versed, they're not going to take notice. So that's me. Well, you are definitely well versed for sure. It's coming all off the top and I love it. <laughs> well, <laughs> keep that in mind as you go through the next exhibit. Don't read too close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we won't. <laughs> so we're in the final area of the museum and this is our big temporary exhibit space. This entire room closes off and it stays open about a year to a year and a half at a time and then we can close it off and change it out. But we are focusing on MTV Turns 40. Back on August 1st, it celebrated 40 years, and we decided what better way to honor it than to create a never-before-seen exhibit. Because the founder, Bob Pittman, was from Brookhaven, Mississippi. So we were really honored to get to meet with him and some of the other staff and the original creators and founders and participants in MTV to create this. So as you come into this room, you're going to see none other than the desk that was actually in the lobby of MTV originally where they had it. An artist, Carl Thompson, actually covered it in rubberized tire, basically. It's all cut up and chunky looking and then has the MTV logo spray painted silver all over it. And of course, we have to have fun. So we tell you don't touch the desk or you're going to be forced to listen to only Beethoven for the next two years. <laughs> this is such a cool piece of MTV history sitting right here in the middle of Cleveland, Mississippi. Just, I'm, I'm just astounded by... If you think that's cool, wait till you come in the room. <laughs> so as you walk in the door, you are inundated with pop music. You are hit in the face with Jermaine's, one of her favorites. I'm just going to say, Dire Straits' Money for Nothing is one of my favorite songs of all time, if anybody knows me. <laughs> but I didn't know that it had such a impact when it dealt with MTV in itself, the song. It did, it did. So it, they came out with the line, the famous line, I want my MTV, which is the whole premise and theme behind music television. You know, you don't realize how big of an impact a single line of music can make until 40 years later, here you are, and we're talking about this wonderful exhibit. So. 40 years ago, when MTV got started, it really changed the face of popular music because now you're focused not on just how it sounded, but how it looks. So they're having to take a whole different concept with it. And as you start going through, we have to give you a little bit of history, right, as to how film and music came together. So you're gonna see uh, Cab Calloway and his orchestra play Minnie the Moocher on what you would call a panoram. Now, a panoram is basically a digital jukebox. For those of us who know what a jukebox is, go eat at the Waffle House, they still have them. But this would be a digital jukebox and this was one of the first ways that you could actually watch music videos. But they weren't, quote, the music videos we see today, it was just recording of a live orchestra or concert of some kind. But they started out as what we would call soundies. So in between films, you know, when you went to a movie theater, they had to have live music there to play during it so you know in intermission and things they would record those and they become soundies little shorts of, of different artists performing so the birth of the modern music video actually we have to pay homage to British television you know groups like Queen and the Beatles they could not make every concert that they wanted to and as you can see on one of the TVs oh it's out there they're just singing Penny Lane and just walking up and down the street and eating, having a tea party in the middle of a random forest. It's like Alice in Wonderland. But it's really cool to see how all of this got started. So then you meet Mr. Bob Pittman. Bob Pittman, they call him the boy wonder of radio broadcasting. He joined a new company called the Warner Amex Satellite Entertainment Company. And he and John Lack got together and heard about music videos and decided they wanted to figure out how to popularize those. Because cable television's a new thing, remember, in the 60s for us. So they're, they're wanting to take these new music videos they're hearing about and figure out how to incorporate that into cable television. So in 1979, John Lack was sort of the marketing promotions guy for this new company that they were creating. They said they were gonna create a video music channel. So Bob Pittman's your CEO, you've got John Sykes, the director of promotions and artist relations, Tom Freston helped. And as you come through this museum, a lot of these artifacts are from John Sykes himself. He donated a lot of these for this exhibit. 
So you find out that it actually launched on August 1st, 1981 at 12.01 a.m. And what's really cool is what the first song was, do you know? Video killed the radio star. I think I, all, I know so much of these facts that it's crazy to me. <laughs> So it's just really cool. So they wanted to just, they featured the Apollo 11 launch as to launch the television show. So that's why you're gonna find out that the artifact looks like a moon man. Cause it just went along with the launch, the launch scene that you see at the very beginning of every time it would come on and so on and so forth. So in this room, I think we have like 15 TVs, the most we've ever had. Cause it's music television, right? Well, there are several TVs that are dedicated to interviews. Because of COVID, it was more challenging than we realized, but we were able to get interviews with Bob Pittman, the founding CEO, which he's the CEO of iHeartRadio, in case you guys didn't know that, and John Sykes. We also were able to get with four of the original VJs. Alan Hunter and Martha Quinn, they actually came to the museum and helped us open this exhibit. You've got Mark Goodman and Nina Blackwood. J.J. Jackson sadly had passed away. But it was really cool to have them come and just walk in this room and be engulfed with reliving those moments from 40 years ago. But you can also listen to the very first music video, Video Killed the Radio Star by the Buggles, and you can see the first 15 minutes of the actual launch. So there's cases all around that are highlighting, especially that MTV logo. You'll see photos of all these famous artists these guys worked with over the years. You're gonna see Moon Men the actual award that we're going to talk about in just a second. You run into a case of John Bon Jovi, which, fun fact, we just held our annual gala on December the 1st. John Bon Jovi signed a guitar for us to auction off. So MTV was a big hit, but they decided they wanted to start the Video Music Awards, just like the Grammys. We want to honor everything that's done. So those premiered in 1984, and that's where your Moon Man Award comes from, the VMAs. We do have a video screen here with interviews from John Bon Jovi in his VMA moment and Sally Frattini. Sally Frattini was an executive that worked with MTV for over 20 years. So it was really cool to have her come and talk about all that she dealt with when it comes to running the VMAs itself. So as you go around the room, you're gonna see Brett Michaels. Every Rose Has Its Thorn guitar. You're gonna see a Bruce Springsteen guitar and lyrics and Max Weinberg, one of his drum sets. Katy Perry, when she actually dressed up as the Moon Man because she hosted the VMA Awards in 2017. So she arrived from space, she was hoisted down, and you can see the crater that she stood on and her outfit has so many pieces. Let's just say that's not all of them. But because of this, this was also the year that they announced the award would be changed from Moon Man to the Moon Person Award, making it gender neutral. You're gonna see Madonna's silk dress that she wore in Vogue. We all know that wonderful video. Now this one freaked us out, I'm gonna be honest. This was the first exhibit that our museum was able to curate on our own. We had no help from Los Angeles and we were so excited to bring it together. But you're gonna to get to see Taylor Swift's, the man, that entire outfit. <laughs> from when she's on the boat with the paisley and gold and linen pants to her actual wig and facial hair. It, yes, it's here. That'll freak you out when you open the box, that's for sure. You're gonna see a mannequin head that very well resembles Taylor if you look at it very closely and they just pinned it right back on so you could have it. It's, it's different. So there are several different parts to MTV that if you're not an avid watcher, you really had no clue. You know, you've got obviously the music videos, but then there was Live Aid, which was one of the biggest international music benefits at the time. You have MTV Unplugged, which is where your artists really just, quote, unplug, go behind the scenes, and you get a lot of acoustic sets with these people, and you get to go behind with them. So we feature a couple of artists like LL Cool J on the video there. You've got Run DMC sneakers. I saw that those were signed. Absolutely, most everything in here is actually from the people either because they're signed or we have a contract directly from those people. So we've got Sting, one of his capes, Michael Jackson, one of his leather outfits, Moon Man Awards everywhere. And even better, you can go right into the set of MTV. If you think back, we have a replica set of the stage. So you've got, you've got brick columns with MTV and you've got the logo coming through the window as light. 
You've got an old school, old school stereo system with a keyboard, a saxophone, records, and director's chairs, and clearly a 1980s rug that you that people can come and sit in a dartboard and just relive the moment, take photos, get in it. So we do take a second and talk about the MTV logo, and there is a loop that goes on for about an hour and a half of all the, the different cartoon moments where the MTV logo was manipulated. And it wouldn't be MTV if we didn't pay a little homage to all of the reality shows that come with it, even though we would prefer to focus on the music. So you have Club MTV with downtown Julie Brown. It's really the dance featuring part. You know, think Soul Train, but music television's version. And we've got another highlighted dance floor with hits of like Taylor Swift, Paula Abdul, MC Hammer, Britney Spears, all the great hits on there. There's also a wall of photos. Esther Peyron was one of the photographers for MTV for over 20 years, and she was able to come with all of the other greats when we opened the exhibit. And it was so cool hanging these photos and her telling me about each one of those moments with every one of those artists. And then we have TRL and, of course, Jersey Shore. Right. <laughs> but if you do love Jersey Shore, we do have the duck phone in there. We have one of the real-world surfboards. And, of course... Beavis and Butthead, Rolling Stone magazines, as well as the double guitar. And the last thing and most important thing, especially to us here at the museum, is the final case that you're going to see. Now, it doesn't really fit in with everything else at the museum, but the entire idea for this exhibit came from the founder of our museum, Lucy Janice. Lucy Janice passed away in 2017 from cancer, but she was our founding board president. She went to Los Angeles and fought to have this sister museum created and placed right here in the museum. And her dream was to have the very first exhibit curated by the museum to be MTV. And as we were cleaning and going through things, we found her actual notes of what she was envisioning. So we thought we'd pay a little homage to her a case just for her in the museum. That is such a special, beautiful thing that you have done right here. I just, it really does kind of just, you know, bring everything to a point so you know where and how this museum got here and the importance of it being here and who laid that groundwork. So kudos to Lucy Richardson Janice for putting this beautiful museum here smack dab in the Delta of Mississippi, here in Cleveland, Mississippi. And you all need to come out to experience just how special this is. You might not have a Katie walking you around like I do, but you are going to have a great time when you come out to this Grammy Museum, Mississippi. Well, good news is educators do get to come for free. Just bring your badge or call ahead because we understand what it's like to take a field trip and you never get to enjoy it for yourself. So one, we want to encourage you to come experience it for yourself to see what you can take away for your students and come and let us help serve you. But also, you know, you need to be a kid at heart too. And we all need that healing that music can give us. So educators, you do get to come for free. Just give me a phone call, shoot me an email, or, you know, just bring your badge and say, hey, you also get to bring a guest. I have anywhere from five to 7,000 students a year come, and the average group is 20 to 30 kids. Sometimes I get, you know, field trips at the end of semesters. I'll get an entire grade. Those are always fun days of three or 400 people. We have international visitors. We've had them from over 49 countries because, let's face it, Mississippi is cheaper than going to Los Angeles. But a lot of our guests are following the Mississippi Blues Trail that stretches 1,400 miles from New Orleans all the way up into Minnesota. So that's basically what we average in terms of guests, you know, 20 to 30,000 guests a year. When it comes down to the funding, I know you all have to keep this museum going. How does that work and can people give to the Grammy Museum Mississippi? Absolutely. We are a 5013C nonprofit, which means we function as best we can so that we can give back to the community and make things as affordable as possible. So we operate off of a lot of grant funding a lot of operational funding, you know, but we do a lot of outside funding. We have wonderful partners like the Nissan Foundation. Like right now I'm working with them in order to take workshops to schools in the Jackson area because they can't always come here. And that will allow me to go to them and then bring them here at no cost to them. We work with people like the Tri-State Educational Foundation out of Northeast Mississippi because that's a bit of a trek there. You know, we have the Maddox Foundation. I can't say enough for their director, Robin Hurdle. That woman keeps me in business, literally. (laughs) 
Robin Hurdle has been phenomenal, her and her foundation and their team in keeping us funded and supporting everything that we do. They were a major contributor for the MTV and my position as a whole. They, they love to see us impacting community, whether it be kids of little bitties or kids of all ages. So we have wonderful funders. I'm also working with the Mississippi Delta National Heritage Area grant right now. We're offering guitar sessions for students, teaching them guitar and the instrumental effect that songwriting has had and can have on their lives and the blues in this area. We have MAC grants. We have wonderful community partners as well, like the the Janice family, the Sanders family. We partner well with the Bologna Performing Arts Center and Delta State University. You know, we're technically on their campus. We have a wonderful Delta Arts Alliance downtown. So we are truly an arts community and we all work together to provide as best we can. That sounds so great. Now, if anybody wanted to book a tour, come to the museum just on their own, or even give, how can they contact you all here at the Grammy Museum, Mississippi? So the best way to do any of that is to go on our website, which is grammymuseumms.org. Make sure you add the MS or you go to Los Angeles. It's real tricky there. But grammymuseumms.org. You can find everything you want to know about it, especially there's an education tab, lets you drop down and you can actually book online makes it a little easier for you. And if you can't answer any questions, you're going to see education at. That's coming directly to me. Feel free to call or just shoot me an email. Now, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with? It's important to remember the impact that music has had on you and can have on the lives of those around you. So don't underestimate and don't make assumptions. This museum truly is for all ages, and we try to highlight all genres as best we can. So without support from community members and other foundations, we can't provide these opportunities to students and those of the community that are in need today to have that little bit of healing that music can give them. So help keep us going, send your students, help us keep making those impacts as best we can by keeping the music alive. I have had such a great time here at the Grammy Museum, Mississippi, here in Cleveland, Mississippi. So this is just a beautiful gem in the middle of the Delta. You all need to come check it out. I've had a great time with Katie here at the Grammy Museum, Mississippi. And you've been listening to Chalkboard Chat. Class is now dismissed. You've been listening to Chalkboard Chat, an MPB education podcast. To hear this episode and more, visit education.mpbonline.org or download the MPB public media app to listen on your iPhone or Android device. This podcast is hosted with love by ACAST.